we are a uh, church that likes to uh, read the Bible. We kind of figure that if God supernaturally wrote this book, we might ought to figure out what he's got to say. We, uh, we go through the book chapter by chapter, verse by verse, plowing through it. And the beautiful thing is that when you go through the Bible, the Bible goes through you, and it does what it promises it'll do. It changes you. It, it does surgery on you. It, it impacts your life. And we have been on a journey through the book of Acts. It is uh, a fascinating journey, and I feel like that the Lord led us there because this was the birth of a movement. This was Jesus had left the earth and started the church. A movement was being born, and it was young, and it was fresh, and it was pure, and it was innocent and simple. And what happened in that setting maybe isn't just something that's descriptive of, that we could describe what actually happened, but maybe it's actually prescriptive, and it gives us some ideas of how we can be doing and what we should be doing. And the book of Acts is really simple. Chapter 1, Jesus goes up. He is hanging out with the disciples. He is uh, resurrected from the dead, and he goes up to heaven. And in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down, just like he promised. Simple. And then Acts chapter 3 is what happens when the Holy Spirit invades a place. And you see that a guy gets healed, that Peter and John are walking and they, they heal this guy. God just supernaturally does something huge and, and the town is like all abuzz now. There's something big about this. And, and they get called before the Sanhedrin, okay? Now the Sanhedrin was like a, um, how do I say this? It's, it's like a government within a government. The Romans were occupying Jerusalem. So they were the government, but in order to keep them from rioting, they set up like a sub, they let them have their own little sub-government. So the Sanhedrin kind of would have been like a homeowners association. <laughs> like a government within a government, and they had, just like a homeowners association, a whole lot more power than you think they do. And if you don't think they do, just try and build a mailbox that doesn't meet the code. Right? I mean, there was an, in the newspaper not long ago up in uh, Sullivan Farms where they, the sheriff showed up with a construction crew and knocked over this guy's mailbox because it didn't meet the code and then billed the guy like three grand for it. Like, go to Tennessean.com. The Homeowners Association of the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin. And Peter and John are called in front of these guys to give account, man. In, in whose name did you do this? And here's Peter and John. Now, keeping in mind, if you're in Acts 3, we're, we're, we're just going to breeze over this, but go back later and read it. He was at Annas and Caiaphas' house. Now, if that doesn't ring a bell, it should, because it was just a few weeks earlier in his life that he was outside of Caiaphas' house. Jesus was being questioned. Jesus, it was the night of his execution, the night before his execution, he's being questioned, and he's outside of Caiaphas' house by a fire. And a, a girl comes up and says, don't you know, that, aren't you that guy that was with Jesus? And he cursed her and said, I don't know who you're talking about and around. Denied Christ. That was by a fire in front of Caiaphas' house. Now, just a few weeks later, he has been touched by fire. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came on him like fire. And now he's in Caiaphas' house, in the fire. And he responds way differently because the Holy Spirit gave him the power to be a witness. But then we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, 
where it says, and we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but it says in verse 32 that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. If that little line isn't underlined in your Bible, I give you a clue. That's one that should be. Much grace was upon them all. The, the, the grace of God, the, the, the forgiveness, the righteousness that, you know, if you're like me, I mean, I'm kind of a wreck. And so I can't go before God with my stuff, with me, but I don't. I go before God robed, it talks about, in Jesus' righteousness, in Jesus' right standing. And the, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not necessarily a robe guy. I'm not like anti-robe. I just don't have time in my day for a robe. Like no time has been scheduled for robe time. Do you know what I mean? Like I get dressed and then I go to do what I do, but I don't like take, because, you know, the robe is technically getting dressed. You know what I'm saying? So I don't like get dressed with the robe, hang out in the robe, and then go get dressed again and go do the rest of the day. I just don't have robe time. So it's not that I'm anti-robe. I just don't have robe time. But be that as it may, this is a robe of righteousness. When I go before Christ, he doesn't see me and my disgusting sin and wickedness. He sees the, the righteousness that, was, that is in Christ, that he has robed and covered us with. We don't have to get cleaned up to go take a shower. He is our righteousness. Great grace was on them all. And then skip down with me, verse 30. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago too, that Joseph was a Levite. He wasn't supposed to own land. In the law, in the 613 commands of the old covenant, one of them was that if you're a Levite, you didn't get to own land. And there's a reason why Jesus came, because the law didn't work. All those rules, regulations, and systems, Paul said they're just a reminder that you can't do it, and that we would need great grace because we couldn't, that Jesus makes us into that. It's almost like if you've been to a theme park, right? You go to Disney with the kids, and if they're too short to get on the ride, what a bummer, right? The kids are like devastated, can't go on the roller coaster, especially if you got them spread out like I do, so the little ones don't get to go. But what if there was a booster seat that made you tall enough? What if when you go to the little Donald Duck or the Mickey Mouse with the, with the measuring stick and you're too short that someone comes in and says, no, now you're tall enough, you get to go. And that's the, 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 what happened with Jesus and with, with grace and it's what's happening with Joseph here because the law couldn't do it, but love did. The law didn't change his heart. The law, he broke it. He owned land, but love changed him. Now in verse chapter 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, verse 3, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And how... And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? Have you not lied? You've not lied to men, but to God. And verse 5, and when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then a young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Wouldn't you love to be the usher in that church? 
I mean, if you remember in the 80s, I grew up in the church where that you would um, quote me slain in the spirit, so you'd fall. So you had the usher that had to catch you. And you had the usher, if you were a lady, that would bring the little kids. So now you'd have the, you have to have a new usher job, the, uh, the carry them out and win their dad job. And he says about three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. This is hardcore, okay? Because I want you to know this is New Testament. And I didn't necessarily have a box for this. Like, I didn't have a compartment for where this one fit into what I believe and what I believe grace is. And I struggled with it to the point where uh, Deloach and I were talking back and forth for the last few weeks about, I wonder what this means. And I want you to know that I think, no, I know. I know why. Go with me to Genesis 3. Because this time reminds me of another time. This was young. The Holy Spirit was moving on the earth, fresh and new. They were young. They were pure. There was innocence in this movement, in this church, in this gathering of believers. It reminds me of another time when the Spirit of, the, the Spirit of God, it says, moved on the water, that God was actually walking on the earth. Jesus was referred to as the second Adam. It says that by him, by the one man through Jesus, that sin was taken care of. But through one man, Adam, sin entered the earth. I want you to know that I think there is a parallel between Genesis 1 through 3 and Acts 1 through 4. The time of a new thing going on in the earth and a time of why that this would have happened in their lives. And go with me to Genesis 3. Now keeping in mind, these guys, it's the, the Garden of Eden, that it's pure. It says in chapter 2 that they were naked and unashamed. Now, uh, my son uh, apparently has taken that verse uh, to heart. <laughs> he is very much naked and unashamed most of, his, most of the day. He just runs around. Um, someday he'll, be, he'll realize that there was actually the next part where then they were ashamed, but he hadn't got to chapter 3 yet. It says, now the serpent, which is a Jewish euphemism for the devil was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. Notice that. The, the, that Satan, it doesn't say he was more powerful. It doesn't say that he was going to hit you with shock and awe, but that he was more crafty. And to this day, the number one tool of Satan in your life isn't ooey-gooey, spooky, paranormal stuff from the Learning Channel. It's deception. It's lying to you, lying to me. It's subtle. It's uh, perfect, the way that he lies and crafts, and only through the word. And let me show you how this works. He says, did God really say, this is what he said to her, that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Understand this, that when Satan comes to deceive you or I, it is always through that. Did God really say? You want to know why it is that we think that it's important to go through the Bible, to know the Bible, to understand the Bible? Because Satan, to this day, the, the number one lie is, well, did God really say? I mean, I hang out in, in a world where there's a lot of 20-somethings. And, and understand that that is a lie that is happening right now. 
the old covenant. It isn't like God, that a new God came and tagged in. Okay, this wasn't like a tag team match, and now you got new God and there was old God. It's the same God. It's Jesus. But in that society right now, there's a gathering, there's a group of people in the blogosphere who would say like, well, you know, of course they would. If you were Israeli and you saw that the earth had swallowed up people, of course, in your context, you would think that God had done that. Or, of course, if you were David, you would think that God told you to go to war against these people. But God really, you know, wouldn't do that. Did God really say? And we have to be able to look to the word, to know the word, to understand the word, so that when the enemy comes in our life and says, did God really say that we know? He knows the word better than you do. What do you think he's been doing for 6,000 years? Trying to figure it out like we are. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. I, I believe that's why the Bible, the, the prophecies are written in such a way as they are. Because in Corinthians, there's this cryptic passage where it says that had, had he have known, he wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. He didn't know. He got shanghaied when Jesus was crucified. He's trying to figure it out. But he knows it, and he knows it in his mind, and he brings us to the, did God really say? It's always the lie of Satan to come to us, did, did God really say that? And look what he says next, and, or the woman says now, we may eat from the fruit, from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And that is true. God said that. Why did he say it? Love demands a choice. Uh, if, if I am have no other options and no other choices than Shannon, then we might as well be brother and sister at that point. We don't have a choice in that, right? But we did have choices. And I chose her. She chose me. And so God making it as easy as possible to, to still have love, to choose just that tree. Everything else, look, go be naked, have fun, run around, pick bugs, you know, name bugs, I guess, pick animals. I don't, it's all yours. Just don't eat from that one. And she said, he said, don't eat from that tree, right on. And then she says, and he says, don't touch it or else you'll die. But wait a minute. He didn't say that. He said, don't eat from the tree. Don't eat from it, that's it. She said, don't eat from it and don't touch it or else you'll die. He didn't say that. And I want you to know that the deception of Eve started not with her being by herself or didn't start there. It started earlier when she started adding to what God had said. And legalism and religion was born. Now, this is a good policy. Don't touch it. Because if you're not touching it, you won't eat it. Which is fine, except for that God didn't say that. He said, don't eat it. And she started religion. And the problem is, is that when religion enters and laws and rules and regulations and expectations enter the picture, so does our lack of ability to meet those laws and regulations and rules. And then we fail, and then we do what Eve did. He says, uh, this is, pick up with me in verse 5, and then we're going to go back to Acts. For God knows that when you eat of the... This is what Satan is saying. He didn't really say this. You're not going to die. For God knows that when you eat, part of your eyes, your eyes will be opened. I need my eyes open this morning. Apparently I need glasses. I'm not being able to read this morning. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
Satan beginning his ministry of lying. She's, her deception began at legalism. Her deception began when she, <laughs> borrow Sue's reading glasses. Her deception began there. And Satan completes it with, yeah, he didn't really say that. Now he's questioning not just the word of God, he's questioning the love of God. Go with me back to Acts. Understand this, that where Eve went wrong was when she missed out on the picture and the point, and that is this, that the garden wasn't the prize, that Adam wasn't the prize, that the animals and the freedom wasn't the prize, that God himself was the prize, that he was her portion, her reward. Everything else was gravy. And so when you get into that and you lose sight of that, then you start down the road of, I got to earn my way into this thing. I got to start doing some stuff with these rules and regulations and these parameters to keep me away from sin. Again, it isn't a question of how would you, how close can I get to the tree? It's how close can I get to God? She was asking herself the wrong questions and putting parameters in place that God himself didn't put in place. And when you go back to Acts chapter 5, and you see that Ananias and Sapphira walked into this room with the money that they had just gathered from selling their property to give it to God, and specifically to give it to the poor. That's what they were doing with the money in the book of Acts. They were distributing it to widows. Now follow me. I know this is deep, but, but wake up for just a second, then you can go back to sleep. He, he, he says this, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you, verse 4, before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. It was a good idea to bring money in. It was a good idea to... To give, and that's what was happening. Everybody, it says, that was, they were giving away their land. They were selling it. They were doing good things. But they were doing it as the Lord, as the Holy Spirit led them to do it. And the temptation is this. And in a church like this, where there's a lot of really good things going on, we got, you know, David Whetstone and his gang still in Africa. Mark is leaving for Uganda just in a, in a few days like, there's a lot of great stuff going on. And so there's this idea that we should be as good as them to emulate what they're doing. And it becomes about doing and keeping up. And it becomes about, honestly, hear me say this, it becomes about religion. Because I'm trying to do something, not because the Holy Spirit is leading me personally and individually to do it, but because I want to look spiritual. I don't want to feel like I'm not as good and I'm not keeping up with them. And what I'm really saying is I'm not trusting that the Holy Spirit can change me from the inside out. If I'm imitating people, that isn't the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes us with an impartation from the inside out. And you might be thinking, Darren, I've been at this a long time and, and I'm not changing and it's not happening in me and I'm a mess. Good. Love is patient. The Holy, you got to trust that the Holy Spirit in you can do that. And so that you can say like Paul did in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 15, that by the grace of God, I am who I am. That it's through God's grace that I am where I am, that I am who I am, not because I can make it happen in my own. And if God does move on your heart to go to Haiti or to go to Africa or to minister and to be with the flood relief victims or to give a big offering so that we could feed more kids in Haiti, 
Awesome. We'll take it. If God is not moving on your heart to do that, it just became religion in your life. Because you're doing something not because the Holy Spirit is doing it. And look, they said they brought this money in. God didn't tell them to. Peter said, it was yours. You could have done whatever you wanted to with it. God didn't tell them to do that. And so with them trying to keep up with what was happening, religion was getting in their hearts so that they could look spiritual. And I honestly don't think it came from a wicked place in their hearts. They just want to be like the others. Why, why is God not doing it in me? And, and they became ultimately hypocrites. The sin isn't greed. The sin is hypocrisy. And if you wanted to see a sin that rattled Jesus' cage, that ruffled his feathers, it was hypocrisy. It was somebody acting spiritual so that other people could be impressed with them and not revealing where they really were. The Greek word for hypocrisy, hypocrite, was hypocrite. And it was not a negative word. It was what they used to call an actor. In, in the Greek theaters, there would be a little stage down there, and there'd be the, you know, you've seen the amphitheaters on the Learning Channel, and but they'd have these huge masks with big faces so that if you were in the back, you could see the face. And Jesus used that word picture, hypocrite, which was an actor, and called the Pharisees and the Sadducees hypocrites, hypocrite actors. And when you find yourself in that situation, which is, again, I believe driven from religion, driven from legalism, it's great if God tells you to, to go to Africa to do those things. But if he's not telling you, you don't have to, you shouldn't, because then you're doing something to keep up with someone else. Then it's just another set of rules and regulations. Just down the street from where this is being written was a temple with a veil that had been ripped in two. And here these guys are trying to sew the veil back up to change out one set of rules and regulations with a new set. And I say that I mean, we could go on and on. If you're old enough, you remember in the 80s, well, you know, our rules and regulations where you had to have short hair to go to Bible college, and you couldn't have earrings. And if you're young, you're like, really, that happened? Yeah. You had to listen to Petra, and you, and you probably had the poster on your wall that said, if you like Petra, and if you like Alice Cooper, you'll love Petra. You're like, no, I, I don't. But, but, but because you did, that was a new set of laws, a new set of rules, a new set of regulations that ultimately, maybe they're not bad inherently, but when we start saying them and then attributing them to God, it just drives us to a point of failure, to a point of questioning, to confusion, and ultimately, like Eve, to a point of rebellion. I can't possibly keep up with this thing. And then if you're like me, you start reading the Bible going, well, that wasn't even in there to begin with. And God's like, don't blame me for that. I like air supply. Actually, God would never say that, I'm pretty sure. But... If you're in your 20s, it was a band that was huge in the AM. <laughs> the, po the point is this. And, and, and going back to Genesis, if you go back with me one more time. When we find ourselves in that position, when we are trying to keep up with it, and I say that, and I think that the reason God has it for us here today is, man, we're young. This church is young. We don't have a bunch of rules. We don't have a bunch of regulations. We don't even have four imperatives. Well, not yet. But, but it's because it's not in there. I mean, even like, and I don't mean to kick over any sacred cows, but, you know, we don't have membership here at Conduit. And the reason? It ain't in there. 
if, if you are born again and you've become a part of the family of God, man, we're just a, we're a branch on the family tree. And it's not that there's anything wrong with membership. It's just that he didn't say that. So I find it to be something that, yeah, if you want to do it, that's great. I just think it's busy work. And there's plenty of other things that we could be doing that he did ask us to do. So if, you, if that's where you want to be, that's great, man. There's a lot of really great churches. And there wouldn't even be any hard feelings. But it's just we don't feel like it, it's in there. I just feel like it's kind of a waste of time. It can become religion to us because then it becomes about something that he didn't say. And when that happens in our lives, and you know this because if you've been a part of it, especially if you grew up in the church, around the church, especially in a church that was full of religion, you know that what happens to you, happened to me, is what happened to Adam and Eve. When it says that, verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and they hid from the Lord. They covered up the reality of who they really were. Hupocrites, a mask, a covering. They're hiding from God. You think God didn't know who they were and what they were? That the mask, the hypocrite, was covering who they were, and then they hid from him. And the point of Acts 5, the reason I believe that God had to do that with Ananias and Sapphira, and if you look throughout the scriptures, you know that from time to time, very, very rarely, God will do something that is so shocking, that is so big, that it becomes undeniable to get our attention, to call attention to Something so that it is an unforgettable forever lesson. Whether it was Sodom and Gomorrah, whether it was Achan in the book of Joshua, he has to make a scene that is so unforgettable. And in this, when he killed Ananias and Sapphira, he made a statement that is a forever statement. And keeping in mind, he didn't do this about the sin of, of fornication, of lying. He did this with the sin of hypocrisy. And he made a statement so that we knew that this was a big deal. And he killed Ananias and Sapphira because he needed us to know that religion kills. When we strap on the rules and the regulations and we start saying that God said this and that and he didn't say it. If you're Satan and you're not omnipotent and omniscient, you can't be everywhere at once. I mean, he's got stuff to do. He's busy over in Afghanistan or Iraq. You know what I'm saying? He's got stuff. He didn't have time to be over here. So what the beauty of his system is that if we buy into a lie, we'll keep ourselves busy with it forever. He didn't have to come bother us because we're busy enforcing these rules and regulations ourselves. And driving home failure and driving home questions and doubt to where it's killing our relationship with God. It's killing our relationship with each other to the point where, and many of you, many of us in this room have come to that point where I'm just burned out on church. And we got burned out on church, not because of God, but because we're just doing a bunch of stuff, a bunch of crap that man has put in place that God didn't say. It's so simple. They just devoted themselves to four things. It says in Acts 2.42, prayer, fellowship, communion, and teaching. That was it. They didn't have membership. They didn't have big, you know, building fund drives. They were doing those four things, and God added to their numbers daily in the simplicity. And I think God needed to make a statement because the church was young. It was a very dangerous time that if this stuff started seeping in, 
that it could take the church in a totally different direction, in a dangerous direction, in a direction that, quite honestly, as humans, we kind of like. We like parameters. We like rules. We like those things. And God just needed us to know that we start down that road and we've just exchanged the old covenant and those set of rules for a whole new set of rules and we just call it the New Testament. You got to trust that the Holy Spirit inside of you really can speak to you. Yeah, there are parameters in there. Yeah, there are things that, hey, don't do this. Don't do that. It it talks about sexual sin and lying and cheating and and those are things that we don't want to do. But if we're just strapping ourselves to the rules of that as opposed to trusting that the Holy Spirit inside of us can lead us out of that stuff, again, changing us from the inside out. And maybe you think, this is just too good to be true, that God can, I don't have to stop this, that God can change me from the inside out. And, and I just maybe would ask, I don't know, how's your way going? Like, how's that working out for you, as Dr. Phil would say? Trust that the Holy Spirit, that when you walk with him, can change you from the inside out. Because ultimately where you'll find yourself is where Eve found herself, where Adam found herself, hiding from God. And in Genesis, I think that the word for them and the word for you and I this morning is real simple. God comes looking for you saying, where are you, Eve, Adam, us? When you're hiding from God, again, not because of anything, there's no reason to hide from God, but where are you? He's looking for you. And a reminder that the prize isn't this, And if you don't hear anything else I've said today, and that's very possible, but if you don't hear anything else I've said today, hear this. Where are you? He's looking for you. He's looking for me. Because the prize for Adam and Eve was never the garden. It wasn't the the plush. And for us, the prize isn't the blessings of God. The prize, hear me say this, isn't even heaven. The prize is him. Everything else is gravy. If my kids are coming to me only because they want my stuff, only because they want my things, that's not the prize. The prize, as underwhelming as it might be, is me. Right? I mean, I'm I'm that I'm their father. And the prize is our father, is Jesus, is the relationship with him. When we get to heaven, when eternity, a million years into it, all the really cool stuff that that's going to entail, the prize will still be him. That's why David said in Psalm 142.5, you are my refuge, you are my portion, my prize. And that word portion, and this is David writing, by the way, from a cave. He's on the run from Saul. He's, I mean, literally, he's lost. He went from being king and having everything to being in a cave. He had no land. He had no possessions. And he said to God, you are my portion. You are my prize, my provision. I find it fascinating that the word portion means land. What was it that Ananias and Sapphira were stumbling over? Their land. Forgetting that Jesus was their prize. Jesus was their portion. And if he did ask them to sell their land and give the money to the poor, man, absolutely. But when he didn't, he didn't give them the word to do it, and he didn't give them the power to do it. If God asks you to do that, I want you to know he's going to give you the power to do it. And when you do it without his power, because he didn't ask you to do it, you will fail. But don't forget, he's our portion. He's our prize. 
And yeah, we're young and we're simple and we want to keep it that way and know that as we, as God leads us on this journey, some of you will be with us. Don't ever feel condemned and feel burdened in guilt because maybe God didn't call you to go to Haiti. Maybe God didn't. And you'll hear us talk about it a lot, so it might make you feel that way. But if God didn't tell you to do it, absolutely don't. And don't for a minute feel condemnation because there is no condemnation when we believe. And I guess I'd say to you this morning that God would say to you, where are you? Because some of us, we can hide really good even in church. We can come in with a smile on our face. We can come in with the hupokrite, the mask, to cover up where we are. And God would say, where are you? I know you're naked. Duh, I'm God. And your lie really isn't to each other anyway. It's really a lie to God. That's why Peter said to them, you didn't lie to man. You lied to the Holy Spirit, the hupokrite. And it might feel like a burden, and you might be afraid and say, man, especially if you're in that and you're in that fake mode. But I feel like you really should know that it's freedom to say that I don't have to put that mask on. I could burn it up and throw it away. And I want you to know that in Conduit, it's a safe place to do that. In this group of people, we're a safe place to be who we really are, to let God work you wherever you are in the process of becoming who you are, that you're okay here, that you're accepted. We're not going to judge you. I'm not Holy Ghost Junior. God doesn't need my help. He's got that under control. And so as we worship, if you've been hiding from God in plain sight, if you've been lying to God, I want you to have the peace and the freedom to know this morning to burn your masks, to come out of hiding, and to know that God's grace actually is good enough. And if it was the church that damaged you, if it was the church that put you in a position to where you're hiding, I just want you to know it wasn't God. It wasn't Jesus. He didn't do it. We've got communion available. We have it every Sunday because it's a great place to re-encounter the Lord. It's a great place to embrace what Christ has done in you. It's a great place to remind ourselves that what he did was enough at a table where we were reminded of the sacrifice of Christ. And as we worship, know this, that that it's okay to come before God and to be honest. And if you don't think so, go home and read Psalm 77. And think, man, have I ever talked to God that way? Understand this, that not only did did Asaph talk to God that way, but God inspired him to do that because it's in the Bible. You can be honest with him this morning. You don't have to come down here and we're going to have a little thing, but just where you are as we worship, engage the Lord on that ground, on that level, and remember and never forget that it is religion that kills us. It's the laws, the regulations, and the rules, and to burn them, to do away with them, and step into the real new covenant, the real grace that God has paid for us.